Geek News Radio's commentary, not just another podcast on the ordinary the big ball broadcast. Insert random joke here. Now here comes your host Kyle A. Barrett of the World Steve. Welcome to the Big Ball Broadcast. All the geeky news you can use, geeky rants, geeky this, geeky that. It's all about full frontal nerdity here. Uh, I'm one of your co-hosts here. My name's Kyle Hebert. I'm a voice actor here on the West Coast. And your co-host on the East Coast, Otherworld Steve. I am an amateur historian and a musician. Yeah, and we are episode four, man. Four episodes into this shindig, and it's still 2014. I hear I thought maybe we'd get to start in 2015, but no, we're getting a head start. We're, we're excited for the new year already. I've been excited for the new year already. Um, if this is how this old year is going out, it's just going to be freaking spectacular in 2015. <laughs> I hope so, man. Uh, a lot of good things happening, kicking off with the fact that we have our resurrected podcast. This used to exist five years ago, and we had like 100, 100 episodes? 149 episodes. Okay, yeah, 149. That works. And uh, then we uh, went away. And then we came back. So now, thanks, because I do uh, the voice acting, uh, the, the promo stuff for Sir and Smodcast.com, I kind of had a an in with uh, the Kevin Smith folks, and that makes me very happy. Um, but, yeah, so here we are, four episodes in, and we always, here's our usual routine. Come Monday, I'm freaking out, stressing out, going, what the hell are we going to talk about? Because they're sitting here, and we're social media addicts. We're scrolling through Facebook and Twitter going, here's 50,000 things that we could talk about that will be completely not topical by the time people hear this. <laughs> but there's also other things that just happen, and, and we like the laid-back format. This is something that changed. We were a little more rigid and a little more produced in the old inc- incarnation of our show, and this one's a little more Smodcast-friendly, whereas we don't give a shit. right? We just sit back and just yak. You said rigid. <laughs> rigid? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Okay, so I, I wanted to start off with something that uh, I was going to bring up today, but you're going to beat me to the punch, Steve, because you saw me tweet about it earlier, right? I, I have to beat you and punch about this one. Okay. Last episode, we talked about how you were downsizing. You were getting rid of some of your unnecessary collectibles, and you were cleaning up your apartment so you wouldn't just have that one path to walk through. So I was a little taken aback earlier on social media when I saw this tremendous dilemma you had about trying to obtain the super uber Best Buy exclusive collector's item for Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> yeah, now I have to make an amendment to my statement about decluttering. I I like having a hard copy of movies because you get the 3D copy, you get the digital copy, you get the DVD copy, so all formats are covered, plus all the extras, which some people will argue if you get it through iTunes, yeah, you're going to get all that stuff too. But... I like to have something on my shelf. I have two gigantor shelves that I got from Ikea last year, and I still have plenty of room left in it, so I can still feed my my bad Blu-ray collecting habit, at least for now. Uh, as far as clutter goes... That is taking boxes of action figures, you know, things that aren't really worth anything, to be quite honest, uh, and then downsizing, either selling, trading, or just fucking giving away to Goodwill or something just to, to make room, you know, and, and have that back. So the... If, okay, so over time, yeah, I, I, I'm adding to the clutter. I'm making it worse. You, you can give me shit about that. And... I mean, is this something where... Okay, so so you did obtain it. You didn't get it firsthand. You didn't get it at Best Buy. Uh, from what I understand, you paid way more than you should have and, and purchased it. Twice as uh, much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But are you going to watch it? Like when it comes in the mail, you get it at your doorstep. Are you going to pop that thing in or is it going to go on the shelf and maybe you'll get to it six, seven, eight months down the line? Oh, you know what? You can even razz me even worse. I went ahead and bought the regular edition. And I wrapped that, I, I whipped, whipped that open and I put that in and I started watching all the extras today. So I'm going to have two copies and I might just leave that one shrink wrapped because I have a second copy that I can watch to my heart's content. And maybe in a pinch, I'll sell the Best Buy exclusive steel book. Who knows? I just, I, I can't relate. <laughs> I just, right? I, yeah. I saw the $9.99 offer for the regular, uh, dvd at best buy and that's about as tempting as it gets for me 
<laughs> yeah, you don't have a 3D TV? I don't. And um, actually, I, I don't have an HD TV. Here we are with a geeky podcast, and Otherworld Steve is so behind the curve. I had a beautiful plasma. Back in the day when Plasma was the go-to for HD viewing, I got a few good years out of it. But if you bought an early Plasma, you bought it with a limited life. At some point, it's going to burn out. Mine burned out, and you can visibly see it on the screen that it actually burned into the screen. And since then, we've been rocking the old-school tube TVs. That's not entirely true. There, there is a uh, uh, LCD upstairs in the kids room so the kids get to watch things in hd uh my wife and i we're, we're standard deaf people <laughs> really i yeah. can deal with that i can totally deal with that um I'm getting older my eyes are kind of going so it doesn't matter if i'm looking at hd or standard deaf it, it all looks the same you know little blur to the edges so have you actually gone into a best buy and just just for shits and giggles walk by the 4k displays and see if your your eyes can notice a difference i have and they do um, it's just, it's not a necessity for me at this point in my life. Well, yeah, like this year they're coming way down in price and they're going to be way cheaper next year. Maybe, maybe that'll be enough to pull you up over the, I mean, I guess you're probably just going to stick to whatever works until it stops working. Right. I mean, I know a lot of people that it's like, well, um, you know, why fix it if it ain't broke? A lot of it, it really comes down to my kids. And they're too young to really get the whole HD versus uh, standard definition. As they get a little older, the, the demand gets more there than perhaps. But we're not big TV people. Uh, we'll watch movies on DVDs upstairs in the kids' room. But aside from that, you know, as I've said a billion times, one of my television guilty pleasures is Big Bang Theory. And really, aside from that, it's Sunday football when the New England Patriots are playing. But it's, <laughs> it's not a lot of TV other than that. If anything, dude, you being the big sports buff, sports in HD looks amazing. You know, it, it, it's always come down to me. And ironically, we talked about this, you know, six, seven years ago on our old podcast. Um, at what point do does does definition just get obscene? You know, we, we had talked about this years ago in the context of HD porn and I don't want to see a mole on some guy's ass. I don't want to see the pores and the freckles and, and those types of imperfections. So, you know, now it's, it's 4K. Everybody's all up in the 4K. How high is definition going to go before it just gets, you know, ludicrous? When you start getting taken away from what you're watching because the definition is just, it's too clear. It's, it's too. <laughs> like, like, uh, 48 frames per second, like Peter Jackson. I mean, that didn't exactly take off either. Yeah, people complain about that. People complain that the frame rate just it didn't look right. So <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm the only sane one out of this group. Nah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but back to the original, my dilemma today. So I go to Best Buy, right? And and I'm thinking, okay, there's always going to be a line when the store opens at 10 a.m. And I think, okay, it's probably going to be like 10 people. No way. A hundred people at least in line. And I knew right then it's like, oh, there's no way I'm going to get this steelbook edition. It's limited. It's, uh, you couldn't, I don't think you could pre-order it or if you could, they ran out of pre-orders. So it was just strictly left to supplies on, on hand. Um, they probably maybe had less than 20 copies easily. So by the time I got in there, people were, were just kind of shuffling around looking like deer in the headlights. Meanwhile, a, a handful of people, uh, got the actual Steelbook edition. And for those who don't know, the Guardians of the Galaxy Steelbook edition is a Best Buy exclusive wherein the packaging looks like Star Lord's Walkman. It's a really cool package. And but that's all that's different. There's nothing different content-wise. There's no extra features. Ha! I'm not going to answer that. Pardon me. Um, so yeah, I'm not going to uh, to sit here and say that the collectability beyond the packaging is is, is what makes people jump at the at the chance to to get something like this because there's not. This is just some stupid scheme. You know, yeah, you could go to Target and get a version with uh, an exclusive feature or maybe some different packaging at Walmart where there's different character cases and all that. And that's all fine and good. But I really like the Steelbook thing. And I know that there's some people out there in Geekland who like collecting the Steelbooks because they, they do like alternative art covers. 
Uh, they look neat on the shelf, and it's just cool packaging rather than the flimsy old Blu-ray things. Uh, so yeah, I opted after going in there and, um, <laughs> not being able to secure a copy. I went ahead and bought the regular one because I wanted to pop in and watch those extras today. So I've, uh, already gotten through at least half the movie before I got diverted by other things like recording sessions, uh, to watch the commentary. Uh, I've watched the gag reel, which is really funny. Uh, a lot of cool extra content on, on the disc and I went ahead, went to eBay and for 43 bucks shipped, I was able to get the exclusive. I don't know how these people, I guess it falls off a truck on the way there. People say, I've got 10 copies. It's like, it's not even Tuesday yet. How the hell do you have 10 copies? I know a guy. Yeah, sure you do. Right, right. But so some, some dickhole <laughs> way up in the line, uh, snagged like 10 copies. Uh, and I didn't see this. But other people said they saw him like lift almost the entire collection off the shelf and march straight to the cashier. That should be against the rules. And I think it is because I had some people that follow me and say, hey, I work at Best Buy. That's totally not doable. The, the clerks should have not let him check out with all those copies. It's like limit one per person and all that. It's like I'd be down with that. And I, and I had a, another dilemma, too, actually, believe it or not. I could go to Best Buy and try to acquire the Steelbook exclusive DVD, Blu-ray, 3D set, or I could go to Amoeba Records, which is like the world's coolest record store uh, in Hollywood, and go uh, get a regular copy of the Blu-ray disc, but get a ticket to stand in line and get James Gunn's autograph, who's going to be doing an autograph signing on Friday. And they say limited those tickets to the first 200 people who bought Guardians. And I thought, eh... Yeah, no, eh, not not that much of an autograph hound. It'd be cool to see him. If I got to meet James Gunn, I'd go up to him and say, hey, I worked on your game, because um, I did. I wasn't directed by him, though. They they outsourced some other directors, but uh, Lollipop Chainsaw um, was uh, a game out a couple of years ago, and I got to be a zombie in it. And I thought, that was cool. Okay, that's my connection to James Gunn. Why not? Before Guardians, obviously. Uh, before Super, before, uh, well, actually, it was after Dawn of the Dead, the remake that he wrote, but after all his trauma days and all that. So, yeah, that guy, that guy in line, he was that guy who made well, life difficult. Yeah, what's funny is that you probably bought your eBay version from that dickhole, so. <laughs> You're right. You're right. I'm one of those guys, and I, I gave in to the exact thing that uh, I would give this guy shit over. How dare you? It's like, well, okay, someone just like him in another city already pulled that crap, apparently early enough, or who knows, maybe he's paying bums off in the street and giving them, you know, 10 bucks or whatever to stick in, stand in line like uh, concert scalpers or whatnot. And, you know, I'm just the opposite. I wouldn't stand in line for the collectible case, not with there not been any different difference with the content, but I would want to meet James Gunn and I, I would want to have him inside that case. And, and then I would very proudly put that up um, on my shelf. As you know, I have a tremendous anime collection. My, my shelf immediately behind me easily has 500 anime DVD on there. And I have boxes piled out in the hall, just filled with all kind of random anime and a lot of my anime dvds are signed and they're never going to be worth anything more because somebody signed them and shit most of them aren't even worth what i had paid for them retail years ago give them personalized even no for the majority they're not personalized i won't say who but i will say that there was a voice actor from a uh a mecca show who was a tremendous dick about me not wanting it personalized because his assumption it was just going to go up on ebay and it's like I hate to bust your bubble, buddy, but because you signed it, it still ain't worth dick. It's still, <laughs> That's right, yeah. It's still worth less than retail, sorry. But um, that, that was my only issue. I, I've had a lot of other people that were a lot more uh, agreeable and signed my, my covers. And, you know, I have every iteration of Gohan with the original Bandai series signed by a certain someone. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it doesn't uh, increase the collectability or the value, but it, for me, it's kind of a, it's it's a benchmark to my life. I can look on on this fondly and say, I remember when I got these, and I remember when I got them signed, and I remember what convention I was at. So it, it, it's just something internalized for me. So yeah, I would hunt down directors and actors and have them sign my DVD covers as opposed to just getting something 
for the sake of uh, collectability. Yeah, yeah. Also, Best Buy is a lot closer to my apartment. <laughs> I, I guess that one out. But if I want to be really greedy about it, I would want the Best Buy Steelbook Edition and have James Gunn sign that. But uh, that's not going to be doable because the only way you could get the ticket to stand in line to get his autograph is to buy that movie. You can't bring your other stuff. So... <laughs> And, you know, we were talking about HD and about how I don't live in the HD age. But something that's a little, I guess, intriguing for me is I, I do watch some things um, through certain vendors online. And Amazon is one of them. If I can't find it anywhere else and if I can watch it on Amazon, I am a, a Prime member. So I will, will watch certain things on Amazon. And Amazon just had their big announcement that they have um, – certain um, movies and TV shows that they're making available through their website in ultra HD in, uh, in 4k, the pixel ratio is insane. Uh, 38, 40 by 2160. That's just crazy. Yeah. I, can't, I, I can't quantify that. You know, it's like, I'm used to 720, 1080 to me. That's, that's doable. You start talking, you know, 38, 40 by 2160. Does that really mean anything to anybody? Do this number numbers yeah. really mean, you know, Oh wow. It's, it's that much better. But yeah. So I do have that option available as a prime member. If there are certain things out there that I really have to see in, you know, ultra HD, Amazon is one route to go. Yeah. And, and the, and the only catch with that is it's not like watching on a laptop or in a regular TV. It'll suddenly be clear. You actually have to have a compatible ultra HD or 4k monitor in the first place, watching through the Amazon app, you know, installed or pre-installed, on the television unit itself. I managed to get a, a Sony 4K uh, year-old model uh, that was on sale for like 2800 which was pretty much near the max I would ever spend on a TV because this year's model, same specs, $6,000. I said, no, no fucking way am I going to drop six grand. First of all, I don't have six grand. If I had six grand, I'd be doing a lot of other things than getting a TV. But I did say, all right, this year I really, really want, I, I put money away every month from some of my voice acting gigs. I said, I want to, I want to get into the next gen. And I know I'm jumping the gun a little bit here because I don't think 4K is going to be quite mainstream just yet, but we're going there. You know, obviously Netflix has a handful of things. Now Amazon's taking the plunge with that. Um, because otherwise really all I'm doing on my TV currently is watching upscale Blu-rays. And then if I use the YouTube app, or some of the other things, then I can see things upscaled at native 4K resolution, and it does look really, really nice. But I, I'm a cord cutter. I don't have cable, and I don't think any cable outlets actually offer 4K streaming or, or anything at this point anyway. But uh, I do want to check out how the Amazon stuff looks. I don't think it's a, a lot of titles, but uh, hopefully it's it's easy enough to find and see if I can notice a difference. Yeah, initially it's going to be very limited. Now, um, I know you don't have cable. You don't necessarily watch a lot of television um, on your television, but you do game. And have you heard anything at all about at least the prospect of 4K gaming coming soon? I have not actually heard a thing. Uh, the the last stuff I heard was the you know the cloud gaming stuff that uh, Sony wants to integrate with the PS4, which I think is available to a degree. You could start renting games in the cloud and not worry about taking up any space. Although I think the pricing scheme is a little wonky. Yeah. I don't dig uh, retail price for downloadable games. You're, it's not physical. So you should be eliminating a lot of that cost a la uh, printing and, and the, the physical product and the shipping. So I think there should be that incentive. If you're going to download a game or rent a game online, you should get a substantial break for that. I would hope so, man, because uh, that, that's my thing with comic books I talked about in the previous episodes. Like, I've gone strictly digital through Comixology app on my iPad. Well, now I don't even play with the iPad anymore because my iPhone 6 Plus. But anything with a big screen to, to read and streamline and have your digital subscriptions online in the cloud, that's super-duper convenient. But, you know, the cover price is what it is, but you just don't get the ads and or the letter columns, which some people like. I like the letter columns. I miss the no prize. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, obviously you miss the fun of collecting and putting it in, in a bag and board and all that. And that's half the fun. Like just going across town and seeing like, oh crap, I missed that issue of Batman. Let me, let me 
get in the car and get in a wreck, try and try to get to the other shop in town to see if they got any left after everyone's issues are pulled, you know, pull list thing. Did you ever have a subscription pull list? I did. And, um, again, you know, I, I think the big difference between you and I in geekdom is where I live. There's nowhere near the amount of saturation. Um, I wouldn't have to stand in line if a big title was coming out. My stores were small enough in the community where if it was on my pull list, it would be in my stack when I showed up on comic day. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. I've got some shops here. I live in Burbank and, uh, there's several shops to choose from, and uh, I'm sure they don't like, as you know, an indie store owner would. It's like, hey, damn, internet's taking business away, because you know, people a lot, not everybody, but a lot of people go for the more convenient thing. And certainly, you know, Amazon has uh, has changed the way we consume anything. Really, when you get down to it, you know, I was just gonna say that it's really come with Amazon to anything. Um, we talked before about the battle with the mom and pop shops versus the, the big mega markets like Walmart and Sam's club. But now you have Amazon shopping at your fingertips and you know, my family in particular, we kind of enjoy that We're we're a working family with children. We both work full-time jobs and sometimes it's difficult to get out and even make those day-to-day purchases. So we'll purchase mundane things, uh, toilet paper, peanut butter, um, butt wipes, things like that via Amazon and have them shipped to our door. And with prime, there's no shipping cost and it gets here relatively quick. So yeah, the, the future is going to be, you know, ordering things from your computer, the, yeah. the drawback, not being able to hold it in your hand, not being able to pick it up and, and really scrutinize it. So I don't know if it's worth the trade off, but I sure as hell dig the convenience. Yeah. Now, now, how about what you're hearing about now and all the tech blogs and everything? Amazon is in, investing a ton of money, I'm sure, for a new infrastructure for distribution. We're talking about drones. <laughs> and I said, this sounds like something out of a sci-fi movie. But, you know, obviously the, the drone thing has caught on from a consumer standpoint. People, you know, taping their GoPros and getting all this wild footage of whatever from above, whether it's, you know, um, surveying a city, getting some cool shots for, for, for viral videos or, you know, getting shots of riots or, or, or weird political things going down. Uh, but now Amazon's thinking about, you know, okay, you order something and then suddenly a drone comes to drop your things off. And you think about that. It's like, okay, there's going to be a lot of gunfire. I think people trying to shoot down drones and, and just steal the merchandise for themselves. And I, I haven't seen anybody address that thing yet. And not just that, but my mantra has always been, you know, it's all fun and games until someone crashes. What happens then? You know, um, liability is going to be a hell of an issue if you start having delivery uh, drones crashing and, and causing damage. I, I heard somebody say years ago, the reason we don't have flying cars is because when you're on the road and you're driving, even though our life is perceived in three dimensions, essentially you're driving two dimensionally. When you're driving in the air, you're driving in three dimensions. And when you crash, everything has a tendency because of this little thing called gravity to fall down towards the earth. So if you're in an upper layer of traffic and your engine dies or you crash, you're plowing through all these other vehicles on the way down. And eventually you're going to hit something really, really hard. So, there's that, you know, how cluttered are our sky is going to get with these drones. And yeah, it's, it's, Amazon has tons of money so they could be the first to implement something like this, but you know, everybody else is going to want to follow suit. You know, Domino's is going to be delivering via drones and all this stuff. Um, what's the skyline going to be like at that point? It's going to look scary. So if you look up in the air, people are going to be like shooting down drones. Drones are going to fall down from, you know, not working, and, and like killing people or, or severely injuring a bunch of people. And then suddenly, you know, someone's 4K TV or whatever drops from the sky and kills somebody like, oh, oops. Killed by 4K. Oh, killed in high def, though. That's a good way to go. Speaking of killed in high def, segue, segue. Um, you saw the most recent Godzilla movie, the American made Godzilla movie. Yeah, I loved uh, it. 
yeah, and overall, I guess that wasn't really the reaction. Although I do like what you said, you know, apparently people hadn't seen a hell of a lot of Godzilla movies because Godzilla really isn't in a lot of the Godzilla movies, uh, screen time wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm reading now that Japan, and I don't know if it's the backlash because the Americans made another Godzilla film, but they're in production to make a new Godzilla movie. Well, you know, uh, the, the kaiju craze is, is, is high and, and in demand. You know, Pacific Rim did just well enough and it did better overseas than it did here. And obviously you got to go back to the grandpappy of mall. You know, they're going to make Godzilla regardless. And even though the, the, the current reboot or remake, whatever that Gareth Edwards directed and put out and kind of came and, and went and it made enough of a splash that they're going to go ahead and do a sequel, you know, at least people could say, all right, uh, it's better than the Matthew Broderick one. It's better than the independent state guys, you know, but uh, when it comes back to Godzilla, there's a lot of hardcore people out there that says, nope, there's only one man in suit thing that can do that. And that's Toho in, in Japan. And I, you know, they, they've made how many Godzilla movies at this point, probably 40, 50, <laughs> bunches but we haven't seen a japanese release godzilla film since 2004 so right now it looks like they're going to ramp up production next year um, beginning in september uh, september beginning in summer of 2015 for a scheduled 2016 release and toho studio stated that the time has come for the japanese film industry that it can achieve those hollywood level techniques without spending hollywood money um which I've always thought certainly the man in suit compared to tons of uh, CG budgeting, it, it's got to be feasible financially. I'm interested. I'm interested when it comes from the roots. That's the type of thing I want to explore. I did not see the uh, the latest Godzilla movie, um, primarily because Kick Ass is in it, not as Kick Ass. <laughs> Yeah, um, we got a, a chat room going on here every Tuesday night. We record our new episodes of the Big Ball Broadcast, and people can join and listen to a live audio stream. And uh, if you follow at BB Broadcast on Twitter, we publish the link to so you can join our chat room and listen to the live audio feed. Uh, special thanks to Jason Pierre and OtakuLife.net for uh, furnishing the lovely uh, chat space and web space for, for everything to be under one roof. So thank you, Jason. I'm looking at the chat, and Rad Chad says there's also a Skull Island movie in development. I've heard about that, too. So it's like, even though the Peter Jackson King Kong didn't do so well, at least they're going back to that lore and maybe rebooting that, too. Reboot, restart, re-kick, prequels, sequels. Ten- tentacles. I don't know. It's. I still want something new, and and apparently we're just going to keep getting a bunch of old. I, I look at the release slate for television and film, and it's it's reboot this and reboot that. Um, the Flash on CW. Speaking of bringing back the old, um, they're bringing Mark Hamill back to. Uh, reassume his role as the trickster. He played the trickster in The Flash back a long time ago in, uh, I don't even remember what network aired that crappy series. But this one here is, is getting a lot of good buzz. I know you watch it, Kyle, and I know you've enjoyed uh, what you've seen. Yeah. So they're bringing back this new iteration of the trickster. And according to what I've read, um, this new iteration is going to be an anarchist terrorist. So, uh, <laughs> uh, Old Man Skywalker, anarchist, uh, anarchist terrorist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's one hell of a business card. So uh, I just think it's interesting to see Hamill back on the small screen. Uh, he he's done some cameo work. He was in uh, the 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 Jay and Silent Bob movie. Yeah, uh, the, the title escapes me right now. Bill, Bill and Silent, Silent Bob uh, Strike Back. Uh, Strike Back. There you go. And I'm not inebriated yet. I'm, I'm going to. We reached the halfway point, so time to get a little inebriation, see if I can improve my vocabulary here. But um, <laughs> I always think it's cool when, when Mark Hamill has an opportunity to, to shine. And I think, you know, when he really got into voicing the Joker, he really tapped into this dark spot in his soul. 
and really embraced it. Really, really just came to terms with it. This is really cool to, to be a little sick and twisted. So I, I hope he brings a little bit of this to this more grounded incarnation of the trickster. And even though I haven't watched The Flash yet, I'm going to check it out just to see Mark Hamill. Sure. Yeah. And talk about a guy who's... Uh career was totally just rebooted in a totally different way come you know go back to the early 90s when fox at the time fox kid says hey we're, we're gonna make a new batman cartoon and we're gonna make it dark and serious and anime inspired and when they got to the joker initially they got tim curry to voice it and fox execs were like he sounds too scary uh let's redo this so they brought in a bunch of people including mark hamill to to and they ended up casting him uh, so he came in and redid a lot of what Tim Curry did for the first half dozen, dozen episodes of Batman the animated series, ended up dubbing it like anime style where the animation is done. Then he has to match lip sync and everything. And he basically kind of inherited that part and, and invented, uh, reinvented his career and became what many consider the definitive Joker, just like Kevin Conroy is the definitive Batman and both are an animated form. Absolutely. I would certainly say that he did become the definitive Joker. And I think, in fact, um, I don't know if you remember the old um, 90s Spider-Man series, the one that had the intro by uh, the guitarist from Aerosmith. Yeah. Um, he voiced Hobgoblin. And although Hobgoblin didn't appear too much in that series, I, I really think that that was the beginning basis for that Joker's voice. It could be, because I know he he had done a lot of animation voice work before the Joker. And, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, different studios are like, hey, we want that voice and that thing. And so when, when fans get all uppity saying, oh, man, he's a one-trick pony, he only has one voice, it's like, well, they get hired to do that voice. And, you know, I call it job security, because in my field, in many anime and video games, I have used the same voice. They're different characters, but they are the same voice when you when you come down to it. But, you know... If you're an actor and you're hired to do something, you're going to please the client. Otherwise, you're not going to work. When you go in for an audition, how often do you hear other names dropped? Do you, do you, have you ever heard a director say, I want you to do this like, and then drop a name that you're familiar with? Sometimes. I mean, references that get dropped during sessions may be more real-world stuff, not necessarily VO-related. Uh, because in the cartoon world, if they're going to say, hey, we want Billy West or Rob Paulson, Maurice LaMarche, they're just going to call Rob Paulson, Maurice LaMarche, and Billy West. They're going to go to those guys because they are the go-to guys, and a lot of ladies like Tara Strong and everything, they they are kind of the backbone of the current animation industry, and, you know, if they're going to get hired, you know... Some people in the anime and video game world are starting to cross over. That's that's my ultimate goal. Uh, but I, I don't necessarily run into a lot of that. Uh, if anything, we, we tend to, in between takes, just sit there and do impressions. <laughs> it just happens. But you must get from time to time, you know, give me a, a Christopher Walken or a Joe Pesci or... Sure, yeah. yeah. I actually got to do Christopher Walken because it, the 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 line called for it to be Christopher Walken in Helsing Ultimate uh which recently ran on Toonami so I did some bit part voices on that but um Talison Jaffe the guy who directed it and he directed Street Fighter as well which I'm also in is Ryu he uh he says okay you could do a, a Christopher Walken impression right so I yeah of course I can most people do and he said, okay, but most people's impressions are honestly just impressions of what people think Christopher Walken sounds like. But hey, you know, if I had a line saying, I'm Christopher Walken, and then that's it, then okay, cool. I got to be on a cool anime and as someone that I like imitating anyway, just for shits and giggles. That's awesome. <laughs> right. Um, speaking of anime, you know, uh, I got a nice email today, a notification that my uh, Cowboy Bebop Blu-ray box has shipped this makes me happy because that's one of the the best anime series of all time. I mean, I've converted friends that don't even watch anime, and they fell in love with Cowboy Bebop. That's just one of those quintessential shows that came out in, what, like the mid-90s, I want to say? It's been a while. Um, and then in comes Otherworld Steve into your life to say, eh, <laughs> it, it, it was all right. I mean, I've seen it. It, it aired on, on Tsunami over and over and over again, but... yeah. 
for me personally, I, I think there's better anime out there. <laughs> so yeah, I know you're, you're a big one into full metal alchemist and absolutely. I, I've only seen half that show, but I know that that is also one of the greatest anime titles too, which I did manage to convert some friends who still won't watch anime, but they did love full metal alchemist. Absolutely. Yeah, so Cowboy Bebop, are there any Bebop fans out there? And obviously there are because people keep, the, the ratings are through the roof always on reruns on Toonami. The Blu-ray box set remastered, high def, finally, thanks to the, the boys and gals at Funimation. Uh, there's, there's two exclusives out there. If you go to Funimation's website, this is the version I got. There's a limited edition that comes with a trifold packaging. Looks like a vintage vinyl album cover. It's got a display easel, exclusive art cards, and a foil stamp autograph from Bebop director Shinichiro Watanabe. And then there's the Amazon exclusive limited box, which has a clamshell packaging and two art books. One is in black and white, and one's in color. And I kind of viewed them, and they're both basically priced the same. But I said, you know, I'm on a vinyl kick. I'm going to get the box that looks like an old record cover. So... That that's where I'm at, and uh, it kind of had a segue, Steve, because I had a feeling that if I said I love something, you're going to come back with I don't so much. So I want to ask you, what is the geekiest thing in your collection? Me. Yeah, you are pretty geeky. I am the geekiest thing in my collection. Um, a few years ago, I got my first video game related tattoo. My favorite video game still standing to this day. And as you can tell, there's a trend with me. I'm still, I'm, I'm locked years behind. I'm, I'm Europe with the metal scene. Okay. I'm, I'm just starting to rock out to Iron Maiden and, and Judas Priest. Okay. Um, but I am, I, I'm a little far behind and I guess there's certain things that strike me and, and I just hold on to them. I love Infamous, and I kind of gave you a little bit of shit because you had it downloaded for free for the, the Sony apology when they got hacked. Yeah. You got to give it a shot. You got to play it a little bit. But I did get a, an infamous related tattoo a few years ago. There's uh, the the big baddies in the game are called the First Sons, and they're kind of a, a shadowy Illuminati type group. And I, I got their symbol tattooed on my left shin. So that that I think was for me that that was embracing my geekdom really fully for the first time. In terms of my possessions, um, it would have to be my my little arcade that I have in my basement. I have three cabinets currently. I have Dragon's Lair, Marvel Superheroes, and my most recent acquisition was from a local arcade, and that is um, X, uh, yeah, X-Men versus uh, Capcom. So that, that was my newest addition, and I have friends come over, family, even my kids, and they look at me like I have three heads because you know, the PlayStation and everything's upstairs. And they're like, why in the fuck would you come out here and play with these dusty things and only play one game on this unit and, you know, literally pop money into it to play? Now, I'm trying to remember, did you actually make your own custom arcade that had, like, dozens of games in them? The first cabinet I, I hand-built, it was a, a what they call a MAME cabinet. So you could play all these classic games. People have ripped the ROMs and, you know, even though legally you're not supposed to have them, but kind of is what it is. The Dragons Lair cabinet was more interesting because I wanted it to be as original as possible and I didn't want to pay some of the prices I saw for intact cabinets. So I built the cabinet itself. That, that's all hand built from actual plans from the 83 cabinet that I obtained. So it, it's dimensionally perfect. And then I spent about a year and a half online just hunting down all these parts, and in some cases, just bit by bit. I remember spending $65 for the twin speaker grills. But I was like, hey, fuck, they're original. I'll, I'll pay the 65 bucks for them. Somebody actually held on to these things. So the, the scoreboard, the control panel, the buttons, the, even the decals are um, new old stock. And then the crowning achievement with that one was getting in touch with Don Bluth, who, of course, created Dragon's Lair, along with classics like um, Secret of Nim, Land Before Time. He formerly worked for Disney. So I get in touch with him, and I sent out my marquee to him and asked him to sign it. And when he received it, he sent me an email and said, Gary Goldman is actually here, the, the co-creator of Dragon's Lair. Would you like him to sign it as well? I'm like, fuck yeah! So I have my, my marquee for Dragon's Lair signed by uh, both those guys and that's like the that's the the gem. That's the jewel in my collection of geekdom. Nice, nice. I've got a couple things that uh, I absolutely treasure, um, and 
One was acquired in barter for voice work. I did a commercial for an animation cell art gallery uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And he said, well, I can't pay you. And I said, well, I love animation cells. Uh, how about I just do that for, for trade? You know, I'll, I'll do the radio commercial for you guys and you just give me a cell or something. It's like, all right, cool. Uh, so I ended up getting, and I thought it was, this was cool, an original Mickey Mouse pencil drawing that was acquired from one of, uh, Walt Disney's old ink and paint departments, you know, which was the, basically the only kind of animation job women could get back then. Yeah, it was a horribly sexist industry back then. But, uh, for whatever reason, someone that, that inked a lot of, uh, the cells back in the day had a whole collection. And she didn't even care or know what their current value was. So animation dealers acquired her collection and then it was, you know, auctioned off, trade, sold it, unbartered between all these different animation cell galleries. And uh, this particular cell gallery, which no longer exists, happened to acquire uh, a stack of them. And so I looked through the collection and said, wow, really? This is cool. I mean, it's not like Steamboat Willie or one of those really iconic shorts. But it is definitely from the black and white or, or the old 1930s, 40s era um, Mickey Mouse. Now, I don't actually don't honestly know. I think I want to say maybe it may be the, the black and white, but you still had inkers and, and all that. And I treasure that. That's one of the coolest things I have. And yes, it's framed and it's, it's safe and all that. Whereas a lot of my other animation cells, anime cells that I've collected of my characters that I voice. Yes, I'm so vain. Um, they're just sitting in like manila folders and I keep on saying, yeah, I need to frame these. And I never do. I should really get off my ass and do that. Uh, the other thing was a gift from a fan. Her name's Madeline Morris. Hey, Maddie. Uh, she gave me a gift one year, met her at a convention. She, she said, I love your voice work and I, you're just such a cool guy. And so I was, I got you this really cool gift and it's a test pressing, a vinyl album test pressing of I taught, I taught a putty tat sung by Mel Blanc, the original Looney Tunes VO guy. Uh, you know, Tweety and Sylvester that I thought I told I put it at a tweeping up on me. So I got a vinyl test pressing of that. Um, and it, it looks legit. I'm assuming it is. So those two things I think are neck and neck just because it's old school. It's VO or, or animation related. And I absolutely treasure those things. You, my friend, you, you have a tremendous collection and I'm, I'm thinking of all the other things that you would potentially mention um, from your involvement with Dragon Ball Z, being able to get your hands on some really neat exclusive stuff, having that uncut card sheet of a very early run of Dragon Ball Z collector cards. I still salivate at the thought of that. Um, but you and I both at a convention years ago, we got to meet um, Matsunabe from Cowboy Bebop. And yeah. I, I did have him sign my collection, and I had him sign um, The Animatrix. He, he directed one or two shorts on that. But you walked away with a, a true gem, and, and you have a beautiful sketch of Faye Valentine that is um, it's written out to you and signed by yeah. him. And that is just a, a, such a phenomenal piece. That's right. i got to find that and frame that, too. I don't think I have that framed. Well, I could be wrong. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I got so much crap. And some people would just argue one man's treasure is another man's you know, trash. But I, I don't say that I have trash. I do have a lot of stuff that uh, at one point or another, and sometimes the longevity is, is better than other things, it's like this stuff means a lot to me for X, Y, and Z reasons. And, and then other things are just like, well, this just sits in a box gathering dust. What am I going to do with that? But yeah, animation cells or original sketches. I got a lot of the voice cast, the original Dragon Ball Z Japanese voice cast, or Seiyu, signed a, a photo, uh, myself and some other voice cast for the English side of Dragon Ball Z. We're at a convention called Animazement in North Carolina a couple of years ago, and we uh, they had a lot of the main cast of the Japanese cast. So this was like this epic thing, and you guys can find the panel online, where we're, we're sitting there just practically going, we're not worthy the whole time, because we're all up there with people that are reasons that we have the jobs that we do nowadays. It's like really, really special and meaningful, at least if you're a Dragon Ball fan. That's so cool. Uh, like you, I have a, an A set and a B set for my cells, my anime cells. My centerpiece in, in the kids' playroom is my original cell from Akira of Tetsuo. That was probably you know the earliest quote-unquote real anime I remember watching. Of course, we grew up with Thundercats and Transformers and, and all those other Japanese-produced shows, but... um. Akira you knew was different. Akira you knew was something 
that you were being exposed to for the first time. So I, I always wanted a, a Tetsuo cell, and I, I picked one up a few years ago. And uh, in my living room, of all places, I actually do have a Great Saiyan cell. Um, I believe it's from one of the, the films, not not from the series. And my wife had picked it up for me for Christmas a few years back. So, yeah, th- those are my, my nice little cells. But nothing in compa- comparison to what you have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got a lot. I got a lot. And, um, yeah, <laughs> sometimes I wonder. It's like, do I have a space big enough? No. I live in a two-bedroom apartment with my daughter. And uh, my girlfriend's going to be coming out here soon. And... Uh, <laughs> she's like, um, where's all this stuff going to go? Um, like a, a storage facility? It's like, uh, I don't know. We'll have to see. Cause that's but the hardest thing to do. That, that is money in the bank. You know, like I said, I have a lot of stuff signed by American voice actors and, and it's not even worth what I paid for retail, but you have stuff where, you know, if you needed to generate some, some quick cash, you just have to be willing to part with some of that stuff. Yeah, and I'm probably not that guy because, you know, the Dragon Ball Z uncut card set, that, that, that's not going anywhere. My Mickey original sketch, no. The, the, yeah, obviously the personalized stuff couldn't be sold anyway, but, uh, there's a lot of stuff that I would have to think long and hard and probably just break down and cry over. It's like, do I really have to part with this? What? And some of the coolest stuff I have is stuff that you actually acquired at different conventions and sent over to me. Um, the beautiful promotional card for Avatar, signed by the, the creators, and that's Avatar The Last Airbender and not the James Cameron film. Right. Uh, that's very near and dear to me. I have a Fullmetal Alchemist mini poster signed by the movie director, the Japanese movie director, um, acquired through you. Definitely the coolest thing, though, ever is the the full theatrical size Hellboy poster that you not only managed to get sent by the direct, the director uh, Del Toro, but you also had the the uh, comic creator not only sign it as well, but he drew this beautiful bust of Hellboy on the bottom of the poster. And probably of all my collectibles, that's the one I think I cherish the most. Oh yeah, that's right. Wow, yeah, I went to Wizard World Dallas, which no longer exists. But, uh, yeah, Comic-Cons have been going on all over, and believe it or not, some have folded. But uh, Wizard World was a good one, I remember, back when I lived in, in Dallas. And I thought that was a particularly cool thing when they had Guillermo del Toro, Mike Mignola. They had lots of cool stuff. Even Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes were there. I think that's when I first got their autograph, you know, a, a good decade plus before I ended up working for Smodco. Yeah, I just want to put this wonderful topic on hold just momentarily because I did promise that we would get to this in, in this show at some point. Um, last episode you talked about while Marvel is certainly dominating theatrically that DC is really holding its own on the smaller screen with some very successful shows. They've announced even more coming out, including uh, Titans um, based on Teen Titans, um, a Supergirl series coming out. But the one that's generating a lot of buzz and probably not for all the right reasons is this new uh, Superman spinoff coming to sci-fi mm-hmm. and it's called Krypton. And apparently, according to the official show's description, years before the Superman legend we know, the House of L was shamed and ostracized. The series follows the Man of Steel's grandfather as he brings hope and equality to Krypton, turning a planet in disarray into one worthy of giving birth to the greatest superhero ever known. Hmm. Now, I've made it pretty clear I'm not the biggest DC fan in the world. But DC fans, people who watch this stuff on television, read the comics, and certainly you, Kyle, explain to me the allure in a show based on Superman's grandfather. Okay, I can't say his grandfather being a particular pull for that, but I think the seed was planted when people were talking about, like the first 20 minutes of Man of Steel, it feels like its own movie. And I would have been happy watching a whole movie set in that world, uh, of Krypton. Uh, so that may be where the genesis of that idea came from. Now, you don't go back and see, you know, Superman's grandfather. It doesn't go that far back in the lineage, but I guess it could. I mean, I, I don't think of, uh, obviously, they look at the rating success of Smallville and say, hey, Superman can work uh, as a TV series. There's been, you know, very successful runs all through the decades, going back all the way to the George Reeves stuff and then, um, uh, the one, the that really cheesy one with um, Terry Hatcher and stuff in the '90s, I guess. 
And then you had the success that is Smallville, which I would argue is probably the basis for this is why we have Arrow. This is why, which led to Flash, which is why this whole TV renaissance with, with DC and everything. Um, so yeah, depending on how you feel about DC and or Superman, and plus how you feel about David S. Goyer, who did write the Dark Knight trilogy, but he also wrote Man of Steel <laughs> and, you know, upcoming Batman v Superman. Uh, he's also a producer on Constantine. So his pedigree, it's got some good things in there, some things that are a little more controversial. Uh, I guess your mileage will vary as to excitement level for this. This one kind of came out of left field. I personally have really next to no interest in watching a show about uh, Soup, Soup's grandfather, really. I think the greatest conundrum that I have is that even with Smallville, the, the introduction of Superman on Earth and coming to grips with his powers and hiding his identity, you you saw glimpses and uses of his powers. And there were super villains and other superheroes. And with Flash and Arrow, you, you get to see their abilities. What made these characters alluring on Krypton, they're all the same. There's, there's, they're not super-powered beings. So I guess my concern is this, this is just going to be a straight-up drama that just happens to take place on another planet as opposed to Earth. Yeah, I mean, if they set it in that world, which had these cutting-edge special effects and visual design, it was just eye candy. If Krypton looks the way it did in, in the opening of Man of Steel, okay, it'll be a pretty show. That doesn't necessarily mean it'll be a good show. But uh, if they use that as the jumping-off point... Uh, yeah, I mean, I might give the pilot a shot, um, but beyond that, it's hard to say because, you know, sci-fi is really hit and miss. They've had some really groundbreaking stuff with the the Battlestar Galactica reboot, uh, a really solid show that's not as good or as popular, but is still solid is Defiance. Uh, but they're also known as the network that brings you things like Sharknado and all the Mansquito and Chupacabra and all these terrible B movies and all these, all this campy horror shit. Uh, <laughs> but with the Sharknado franchise, that can't really sell. So for some reason, that's just, you know, it's taking the internet by storm and people can't talk enough about it. And I think for all the sequels they spawn, there's always going to be some audience for it for some weird reason. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, we're running uh, towards the ass end of our show already. What else did we want to talk about tonight, dude? I have some other things bookmarked. Um, <laughs> go ahead and pull it up. Sure. Right. Pad, pad for a second. Let me go through my links. All right. So anyway, this has been a good uh, month for me as a voice actor. I've had a lot of sessions. Usually December is like really, really dead. But uh, this has been this has been rare. And this is not to say that January or the new year is going to be. This is an omen of good things to come because when you're freelance – you never know when your next check's going to happen. So you got to ride the wave, you know, feast or famine and all that. So fortunately, things are good right now work-wise. I've got a lot of really awesome auditions. I've worked on a lot of new games and anime shows. I'm reading for cartoon stuff. Uh, of course, I'm continuing to do promo work for, for Kevin Smith here on, on Smodco. Um, I can't wait till Tusk comes out because I could swear I got to ask him. Or ask Will uh, from from NetHeads if he can ask Kevin, is that joke about Frank Garman? People who listen to Hollywood Babylon podcast know what I'm talking about. When I sent my VO into the Hollywood Babylon podcast, I originally called Ralph. I called him Frank by mistake. It was a legit mistake. And then Ralph took it personally. It's like, do you not know my name? My name's, you know, <laughs> Ralph, Dick. You know, so, <laughs> but that's why I got hired. So I sent in the right version of the name, and then they ended up having a Frank Garman pun in Kevin Smith's Tusk, which uh, is available now on digital download. And as of um, December 28th, I think it'll be on DVD and Blu ray, something like that. So there's a plug for Kevin Smith's new movie. Um, and I want to find out. It's like, God, did I actually get, you know, my own reference in this thing? I hope so. That'd be pretty cool. That would definitely be very cool. <laughs> a little nod to the A-Bear. Ah, oh, that'd be sweet. A couple of real quick things I wanted to hit. I thought they were a little interesting. Um, of course, as new technology becomes available, people have a tendency to uh, sell off, trade, or in some cases just straight up destroy the older iteration. But it seems this Christmas season, the in-demand Christmas gift, um, particularly in the UK but in other parts of Europe as well, 
are the original iPod Classic MP3 players. Since Apple has totally pulled them from their websites, it seems right now people are fetching up to double to triple what the original retail value on these puppies were. So if you want to cash in some some real quick uh, cash before Christmas, find your classic iPod, throw it up on eBay, and maybe, just maybe, a European will buy it for tons and tons and tons of cash. Well, hey, man, people are doing that with Sony Walkmans thanks to Guardians of the Galaxy. Hell, I got interested in having a cassette player. I didn't buy a Walkman, but I bought a brand-new USB cassette player, and I got, yes, I'm that nerd, I got the Record Store Day Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack on cassette, and, yeah, I got it off eBay and paid way too much for it because, yeah, I'm hopeless, totally hopeless. It's so wild. I've noticed this little resurgence in cassettes, uh, particularly on social media with people posting fines and whatnot. Um it was great for the time. It, it did things vinyl couldn't. It was certainly a more portable format. And, you know, every car in the world had one in it for a number of years. But, um, you know, you can make an argument for going out and buy, buying vinyl nowadays. And I get that. But I don't think you can ever make an argument for going out and buying cassette tapes. No, cassettes degrade. Tapes fall apart. They break. The, you know, if you leave them in the car, they melt. Uh, if you don't have a pencil handy, handy, you have to, you know, spool it back on there. And a lot of people today's generation, all these kids these days, they don't understand, man. But, uh, I shared something recently where they said, can you identify all these brands of, of, of cassette audio tapes? And I laughed because I'd owned every one of them, TDK, Maxell, you know, every kind there was. It's like, I remember having tons of these tapes. I used to record on cassette. When I was a kid, pretending to be a DJ or pretending to be a voice actor and do all these character voices and, and mock cartoons uh, or commercials and stuff, that's what I would record on. I used to record Dr. Demento. Uh, I used to record songs off the radio, which there was no method of doing that until boomboxes struck in the 80s. I remember boomboxes in the 80s. I, shamefully so, had a boombox in the 80s. Well, everyone did. It's just what you do. I mean, just like you had a mullet, right? I had a mullet. I did. I, I had, you know, that, that cursed high school mullet. My graduating year, senior year, is the only year I have that stupid-ass mullet picture. So, Yeah, and, you know, what? what's weird is if you go back in time, no one ever told us that that's just wrong. That's just a, a faux pas. That is a fashion don't. My friends told me during my college days, it's like, that's just cool. That's just you. We accept you for who you are. I look like a Mexican drug dealer when I had like a, a mustache and a, and, a, and a long trench coat and a mullet. That was my look. Oh, my God. But as Shoot long me. as you avoided the parachute pants or the, the red leather jacket with all the zippers on it, you're still pretty cool in my book. Well, thanks. Thanks. I, I mean, I survived the mullet. And when I... When people see me now, I'm big and bald, right? Hence the name, Big Ball Broadcast. But people, if I put a Throwback Thursday picture up and it's me with hair, people say, who's that, Jack Black? I'm like, no, no, that's actually me, kids. Sorry. I still am very shocked every time I see a photo of you with hair. It's just, I don't know, it's, it's not a bad thing. It's just not what I am so used to. Speaking of what I'm not used to, um, this is the last story that I have for this wonderful episode. Um Iconic 92-year-old Sir Christopher Lee has a new Christmas single out this year, and you boys and girls playing along at home. Uh, he's released metal albums going back to 2012, and he, he's been involved in other metal bands' projects, and it's just so cool. At 92 years old, knighted, uh, world-renowned for his acting scope, uh, going way back to the Hammer films in the UK, um, that this dude's releasing metal. You know, that, that's... I don't know. And, and Christmas songs in particular. It's, it's so fitting for the season. But anyway, he has a, a new holiday song out called Darkest Carols, uh, Faithful Singing. I would definitely recommend you go check it out. It's, it's streaming uh, for free on, on YouTube legitimately. Um, 50 years older than me. This dude's rocking harder than I have in, in my 42 years on this earth. And I, I get so excited about that. So this holiday season, I, I get to tip my hat to the old dude. I think you should go on tour with King Diamond. I'd watch that show. I mean, you want to see a 92 year old man throwing his horns up on stage. <laughs> For giggles, we'll invite Ozzy along. He can just sit in the middle and drool. Right. Yeah. It's like, uh, they're going to change their diaper or, you know, sacrifice a goat. I don't, or maybe both. 
I just, I think that's so incredible at 92 that this dude's fucking power metal balls to the walls and you know, more power to him. Absolutely. I'm going to have to go listen to that. Well, uh, we, we obviously can't play that on here for copyright reasons, but, uh, it is time to go, boys and girls. We did it again. Episode four in the can. Can you believe it, dude? We we survived. That's awesome. We're we're coming up onto this new year, and I think if we can make this hump, if we can make these next you know three weeks or so, we're golden. You know, look forward to episode three thousand two hundred ninety eight. Yeah, we'll keep going. And you guys, give us all the feedback. Listen to the end credits. Listen for our Twitter handle, our Gmail, all that stuff. Get in touch so we can talk about the things you want to hear us talk about and all that good stuff. We're talking about in the new year, we're going to, we're going to bring on special guests. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and tease that people from different walks of life. Yeah. As a voice actor. Yeah. I'm going to have voice actors on here, but I think we're going to pull from all different sorts, you know, animators, musicians, you know, God, no, maybe we can start talking to people from, you know, your conspiracy side of things there, Steve. Who knows? Man? History, not conspiracy. Oh, history. You used to like conspiracy. Eh, it, it's it's a conspiracy until you can prove it. And I think that's where I'm at with a lot of my research. I, I'd call it more uh, historical facts than conspiracy. At this ah, point. nice. Okay, that's going to be fascinating. But anyway, that's all the teasing we can do. Thanks to everyone for joining us on our live stream, which is, happens on Tuesday nights. Until next time, this is Kylie Bear. And other world, Steve. See ya. Special thanks to Will Wilkins and Jason Peer. Music heard in this podcast provided by Perimeter of the Void. Follow the Big Ball Broadcast on Twitter at BB Broadcast and email the Big Ball Broadcast at gmail.com. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at smodcast.com. <laughs>